the uh, when I when I was going to start this, uh, what I was going to talk about, I thought, well, it's Mother's Day, you know, we'll we'll take a passage about moms and and it'll be a nice flowery thing and, and it will not be a big deal. Uh, so I tried to figure out what mother am I going to talk about in the Bible, and. Uh, you know, there was Rachel, and there was um, Hannah, and there was um, Elizabeth, and there was Mary. And I thought, well, I, don't, I hardly know anything about Hannah. And the good thing about Hannah is she only covers one, one chapter in the whole Bible. And I thought, I can handle one chapter in the whole Bible. Well, I thought... After I read that through, I decided that this is not a Mother's Day message. So this is a message that I'm going to give on Mother's Day, but believe me, it's not a Mother's Day message. And I would like to have someone out there who would volunteer to pray for the service. Do I have a volunteer who would pray for the service, please? Well, I don't know how many of you have read through the story of Hannah. It's in First Samuel, uh, first chapter of First Samuel. So, if you want to turn in your Bibles to that uh, portion of God's Word, and I've kind of divided this uh, passage up into five little segments, and your outline does not include these segments. This is Hannah's story. That we're going to read. So Hannah's story begins like this. 1 Samuel 1, first verse. Now there was a certain man from uh, Ramatham Ziphram, from the hill country of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah. He was a son of Jeroboam, the son of Elihu the son of Tohu, the son of Zaph, an Ephraimite. And he had two wives. The name of the one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. And Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man would go up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice the Lord of hosts in Shiloh. And the two sons of Eli... Hophni and Phinehas were priests at the temple there. And when the day came for Elkanah sacrificed, he would give a portion to Peninnah, his wife, and to her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, but the Lord had closed her womb. Her rival, however, would provoke her bitterly to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. And it happened year after year. As soon as she went up to the house of the Lord, she would provoke her, so she wept and she would not eat. 
in Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep, and why do you not eat? And why is your heart so sad? Am I not better to you than ten sons? That passage was Hannah's plight. Hannah's plight that she was barren. Next portion is Hannah's uh, prayer. And then Hannah rose from eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli was the priest who was sitting at the seat at the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. And she grew greatly, uh, and she greatly depressed, distressed, prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she made a vow to, and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will look on me, uh, my affliction, uh, and remember me, and not forget thy maidservant, but will give thy maidservant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and a razor shall not come upon his head. And it came about after she continued to pray that Eli was watching her mouth. As Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips were moving, and her voice was not heard. So Eli thought she was drunk. Eli said to her, How long will you make yourself drunk? Put away wine from you. But Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am but a woman oppressed in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor drink, nor have I poured out my soul, but I have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maidservant as a worthless woman, for I have spoken now out of the great concern and provocation. And then Eli answered and said, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant your petition that you have asked of him. And she said, Let your maidservant find favor in your sight. For the, whim, for the woman, uh, so the woman went out and ate, and her face was no longer sad. That was her prayer. Next comes God's answer. Elkanah and his family rose up early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned to their home in Ramah. And Elkanah had relations with Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came about in time that Hannah had conceived. She gave birth to a son, and she named him Samuel saying, I, because I have asked him of the Lord. And then the man Elkanah, this would be the end, end of the year, went up from his household to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up. She said to her husband, I will not go up until the child is weaned, and then I will bring him, uh, I will bring him on that day and to appear before the Lord, and he will stay there forever. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, what, Do what seems best to you. Remain until you have weaned him only. Remember, may the Lord confirm his word. So the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. That was God's answer. Hannah's sacrifice. Now when she had weaned him, she took him, with a three-year-old bull and one ephah of flour and a jug of wine 
And she brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh, although the, son, the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull, and they brought the boy to Eli. And she said, O oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. For this boy I prayed, and the Lord has given me my petition, which I asked of him. So I have dedicated him to the Lord this day. As long as he lives, he is dedicated to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. That was Hannah's sacrifice. The next chapter includes what's called in my Bible, Hannah's Song. And I'm just going to say, read the first verse. Then Hannah prayed and said, and we'll talk about that in a minute. So what's the story? This isn't a story about motherhood. This is a story about adversity. What do you do when you face adversity? The first point I want to make is that adversity is no respecter of station or person. Elkanah and his family were very devout Jews. Every year, they would go to the temple in Shiloh, which was the, the, the rule. You would go there and sacrifice and worship and pay your vows. Here's a man who loved his wife, Hannah. Now you're going to ask me, what's the deal with two wives? You know, most of us can only handle one. Here's a guy that has two. Why did he have two wives? Most likely, Hannah was his first wife. She was barren. In that culture, it was very important to have a male child to carry on the name. There was a, there was a law, a rule that said if your wife is barren for 10 years, you could marry and have children from that. So that's why he had two wives. I don't think he was, he was technically a polygamist, but it wasn't that way by choice. He, he needed to have a male child. Anyway, it says he loved Hannah. And it says he would give Hannah a double portion of the food because he loved her. And he said to Hannah, why are you sad, Hannah? Why are you sad and weeping? Why are you not eating? Am I not better than 10 sons? And what he's saying, I love you so much, Hannah. I, can, I love you more than 10 sons would love you. He was a man devoted to his family, devoted to God, and his wife was barren. Now, what's her problem? Besides being barren, she was taunted every year when they went to worship. Usually the wives would live in different households in the city, uh, in their town. So Hannah would have her household. Peninnah would have her household and her families. They hardly had any contact on a day-to-day -day basis. But when they got in their minivan and went from Ramah down to Shiloh, they had to be together. And what happens when they're together? She gets goaded. She gets irritated. Oh, Hannah, where did, where did your children go? Oh, that's right. You don't have any. Year after year, she's going to worship God, and she gets taunted. 
and she is physically sick. She can't eat. She's crying. She has a chain around her neck. And it goes on year after year. So, Hannah's plight. She has been irritated. She's been uh, in trouble. God does not respect, or uh, adversity does not respect status. Sometimes we think that, well, I think, you know, I'm a pretty good guy. I, I'm almost every day in church on Sunday. You know, I'm an elder. I give my tithe. I give to missionaries. I don't beat my wife. I don't put ketchup on my scrambled eggs. I am a guy that is perfect. So I ought not to have any adversity, right? I live the good life. I think Elkanah thought the same thing. I'm living the good life. I'm doing what's right. And I've been put in an adverse situation. I have adversity. We all have adversity. I bet there's not a, 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 an important person in the Bible, a name that you would recognize, that isn't in there because he underwent some adversity. I can't think of one. Abraham. David, Elijah, Elijah, Jeremiah, Paul, Christ. Every, we, we know about people because they overcame or they had an adverse situation. So we wouldn't know anything about Hannah if it wasn't for this story. The story would have started out there was a man named Samuel. What would that mean? It means nothing. Because it cost Hannah her everything to give Samuel away. We would not know about her story unless we, uh, we, unless we read it in there. The second point is that adversity is used by God to strengthen our relationship in him. Especially... In, in urging us to go to prayer. I'm almost sure that after 10 years, or obviously more than 10 years of marriage and infertility, that Hannah had tried everything. I bet she had gone to the Mayo Clinic in, in Rama, or she had done every possible thing to become a mother. I'm sure she had exhausted no wives' tale, or anything that she could get pregnant. It didn't work. It says in the passage, God closed her womb. Her adversity was of God. God had her exactly where she want, he wanted her, dependent on him. So what does she do? Finally, she says, I can't handle this anymore. I cannot take this anymore. I am going to the temple. She goes to the temple, and the, and the priest is Eli. And as I understand it, he would sit outside because people wouldn't go into the temple. He would sit outside and hear the prayers of the people. He was an intercessor for God. The, the artwork that you see, there are Rembrandt paintings that show this woman outside the temple 
on her knees in front of this man who was Eli. So she went to Eli, and she's praying in her heart. Her lips are moving. He's trying to understand what she's saying. There's no words coming out. Well, Hannah, you're drunk. She's pleading with the Lord. She's in great distress. It says she was weeping bitterly. She says, I'm praying out of the oppression of my heart, out of the terrible situation I have in my life. I'm praying to God. I'm humbling myself to God to answer my prayer. Now, we're, gonna, we're taking a, a look at this, uh, this passage from about 30,000 feet. So I'm not going to talk about whether you should make vows and uh, what all that was. This could be a mini-series because there's so much in here. But she made a vow. And you don't know, you know, understand what the vow was? She was offering everything, the very thing that she wanted, she was going to give up. So we're told later on, she brings the baby uh, after she weans him to Eli. Now, Eli, if you read the story, Eli is not your ideal parent. His sons, Phineas and Hophni, were crooks. So here she is, taking her three-year-old little boy, the one, the, the person, the thing that she pleaded for the most, the gift God gave her, and she essentially sacrificed him, giving him to this old man who couldn't even raise his own children. He never set foot in her house again. Now, moms, how do you like that? How do you want to take your three-year-old, your five-year-old, even your 10-year-old, and give him up? But that's what Hannah did, because God blessed her. That was, she lived the rest of her life, I think, in a situation where she was uh, under duress, distress. She was probably heartsick because she could not see her son in her own home again. She could go to the temple every year and see him there serving in the temple, but he never set foot in her home again. Now, in, in Hannah's situation, God heard her prayer and said, I will give you a son. Does God do that to every prayer? Is every prayer get a positive answer? Nada. Not so much. Can you think of an area where answer, a prayer, heartfelt and pleading and worth being listened to, was not answered? Well, try Abraham asking God that Ishmael could be the son of promise. God says, no. Think of David praying for his little child that he had with Bathsheba, who was on his deathbed. And David says, please, Lord, spare my child. The answer was no. Paul pleaded with the Lord three times because he had 
a, a thorn in the flesh. We don't know exactly what it was. Please, Lord, take it away. The answer was no. Jesus Christ went to the Garden of Gethsemane on his knees three times. Please, Lord, may this cup be taken from me. The answer is no. So what do you do when the answer is no? Why do you even want to pray? That's a good question. You know, I know people have prayed for things for years, and the answer comes back no. There's a, uh, uh, I think part of the answer is in Isaiah 55. When uh, Isaiah says of the Lord, for my, my thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. The heavens are higher, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. You know, sometimes God doesn't answer prayer for our good. And yet there are prayers in the Bible that you, you'd think ought to be answered because they were, these were righteous people praying. The answer is sometimes no. So the question is, why, do we, why would we want to pray at all? There's a, a quote from uh, Focus on the Family. And the question uh, is this. So why pray at all? The answer is that in the final analysis, prayer is not about results. It's about a relationship. God wants us to interact with him, to wrestle with him, just like Jacob wrestled with the angel in order that we might know him, trust him, remember him in all our ways. He wants us to become involved and play an active role in the mystery of life and his plan for the universe. He's not our servant. He is not our butler. He is our Lord. He is in control. He puts adversity in our lives to bring us to him. He has a reason to uh, do that. So what I think about prayer, I think it's an open and honest communication with God. That's a simple thing. It, I think prayer shows that we want to be involved in what he's doing. He wants to use our situation for his, excuse me, for his benefit, for his purpose. And he wants us to humble ourselves before the God of heaven. After all, he created us. He owns us. He deserves to be listened to and to pray to. So when God doesn't answer your prayer, it's not because he doesn't love you. It's because he does care about you. He's got something in store for you. You may not see it on this side of heaven, 
You may never see it, but God has a plan for you. And when we have an adversity, and we all are going to have an adversity, adverse thing, you know, you could call it heartache, depression, affliction, pain, suffering, whatever it is, we're all going to have it. If we don't have it, then you're superhuman of some kind. I don't know. We all are going to have those kinds of moments. And God uses them to, come, to get our attention, I think, bring us to him, get us on our knees, and see where does this fit in God's plan. I'm not, I'm not here to, uh, God's not here to serve me. I'm here to serve God. I need to find out where in the world does he want me to do how does he want me to do this? My last point is that adversity is presented to us by God so that we can provide a testimony of what God has done. And that's when I come to the, uh, uh, the second chapter of 1 Samuel. It's called Hannah's Song, or sometimes it'll say Hannah's uh, Psalm. And it's also called Hannah's Prayer. Now realize what Hannah has just done. She's just taken her little three-year-old boy, taken him and given it to Eli. And what does she do the next thing? She goes into the assembly and she praises God. Just having given up her little baby boy, the, one, the, an the only answer to prayer she's had gives this baby up to this guy, Eli. And uh, she, I'm going to paraphrase what, she, what she, uh, she says. She, she, first of all, she exalts in the Lord. She recognizes the Lord as the source of her strength. She rejoices in the Lord of her salvation. She recognizes him as holy, as stable as a rock. She recognizes him as all-knowing. She recognizes him as totally in control. She recognizes him as creator of the world. She recognizes him as a great judge over the whole earth. There's no sadness in her heart. She is praising God because of the adversity that she's experienced. So, what would, what would Hannah's testimony sound like? I was married for a long time. I couldn't have any children. I asked God to give me a child, and he answered me. But you know what I did? Praise God. I gave him up. I gave him up. The very thing that I love the most, I gave up for the Lord. Let me, let me tell you uh, Paul's testimony. It's a simple one. Once I was blind, but now I can see the light of the world is Jesus. Paul could have had hundreds of testimonies. But it, you can be a simple testimony. You can be a, a very long testimony. I want to tell you about a man named Horatio Spafford. I'm sure he's a person you all know. He was uh, born in the 1800s. 
He was uh, in Chicago. He was doing very well in Chicago. He was a real estate broker and a banker. And he had bought a lot of real estate and made a lot of money. He had a lot of things. What happened in Chicago? In, there was a fire. He lost everything. He lost everything he owned to the Chicago fire. He was a layman in a Presbyterian, a Presbyterian layman. He was a very good friend of D.L. Moody. You've all heard of D.L. Moody. Um, D.L. Moody was in, uh, in uh, England on a campaign, or we call it a crusade. And uh, Horatio thought it would be good to get his family out of, out of Chicago because there were bad memories there. So he booked passage uh, on a steamer to go to England to be with D.L. Moody to uh, help in his campaign. Something came up and he couldn't leave. So he put his wife and his four daughters on a steamer. On that steamer, in uh, November 22nd of 1873, midway across the Atlantic Ocean, the steamer was collided with, with a huge sailing ship. The steamer went down in 12 minutes. Horatio lost all four of his girls. His wife was rescued by someone in a rowboat from the sailing ship, and she finally got to England, and she telegraphed Horatio in Chicago. Saved alone. Saved alone. Horatio rushed uh, booking, uh, booking onto uh, another ship to go to England to console his wife and to bring her back home. As he was crossing the Atlantic at about the place where the ship went down with his four children, he penned a poem that was later put to music. And this is the, this is the poem. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like deep billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. Though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control that Christ has regarded my helpless estate and has shed his own blood for my soul. Oh, the sin, oh, sin, what, oh, and the bless of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross. I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. That's a testimony. I've lost my children. I've lost my income. I've lost my possessions but I have God, and I have God. It is well with my soul. So my question right now would be, is it well with your soul? Is it well with your soul when things don't go your way? Because 
God wants you to trust him. He wants you to be with him. He wants you to bless his holy name. I have one other testimony. I'm going to call it the Barker testimony. And my wife is going to cringe now. Um, so she can plug her ears. Turn your hearing aid off. I mean. Like I said before, I was, a, I was an obstetrician, 35 years, and I loved, I loved, I ate, slept, and dreamt delivering babies. I loved delivering babies. I would, uh, when our office manager needed to have someone take call because someone was going to be gone, I'll take it. I'll take it. I loved to see those babies come out and see the families holding that little baby, that little gift of God, and they're so happy. You know, it, oh, it, was, it was the dream job. It was, I loved it. Until about 30 years ago, we had a pretty big deal family crisis. And I'm not going to go into details because the details don't matter. But we had a family problem. We, we spent, we went to doctors, we went to counselors, we took medicine, and then we went to some more doctors, and then we went to some more counselors, and we spent some more money, and I think we probably spent a couple hundred thousand dollars in hospitalization and doctor bills and all that, and we were no closer to a cure or to a relief than we had when we started. Nothing worked. I would sit in my office and uh, before we started work in the morning or over the noon hour or between patients if I had time, I would sit in my office and I would sob. I would sit there and cry like I'm going to do now. Dr. Wessel was in, my, in the office next door to me, and he would knock on the door, are you okay? And he would come in, and we'd have a talk. It didn't help my heart any, but you know what's really scary? I hated doing deliveries after that. When I saw a parent have a baby, and they were happy, that was not right. That is not right. They should be happy, and I'm not. That is not right. What's going on here? It was a chain. My whole life changed. Like Hannah, I was physically sick. I was crying. I was depressed. I didn't want to take call. I didn't want to do anything. That was my adversity. Well, what do you do when, you're, when you've spent all the money, you've done all the doctors, you've been in the hospital, You've done all that stuff. Well, maybe there's something in the Bible that'll help me. Well, sure enough. You know, <laughs> mothers will not like that one. Don't let, children don't do that. You know, when you, uh, 
You've heard stories about when people are, are in conflict or under, under duress, and they just go to their Bible, and they, uh, oh, and they just lay it out, and bang, the passage they needed was right there. That only works in the movies, because it didn't work for me. And I, I did it, I, don't, I can't tell you how many times I would let, just, oh, I, I bet that's it. Nah, that's not it. So I just started reading. That's a terrible thing to do, read your Bible. Why would you want to do that? I read a lot of passages, because I knew there was a passage somewhere that was going to get that chain off my back. I came upon Isaiah 43. And this is what came to me. Isaiah 43. But now says the Lord, your creator, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. When you pass, I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they will not overflow you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not get scorched, nor will the flame burn you. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I, can't, I, can, I can tell you exactly where I was when I read that. And I got down on my knees in front of the fireplace and I said, God, this is yours. This is yours. And you know what? The chains fell off. I am not going to say, oh, that was a bad. I might, I might have to buy a new microphone. <laughs> I'm not going to say that everything got better. Everything didn't get better. They improved, but they didn't get better. But you know what got better? my heart, and my head. God doesn't always answer the prayer in the affirmative, but he listens to you. He cares. You are his. He calls you by name if you know him. He's your savior. So when you have a, a, a bad thing happen to you, go to God. Go to prayer. His answer may not be yes, but I'll tell you what, he's going to take the physical problems you have away. Crying is gone. My, I'd love to do OB again. Well, I, not anymore, but because uh, I'm retired. But, you know, it came back, the love of my job, because I, my spirit was healed. So my... I don't have a, what's the big deal thing? I don't know. I don't have a summary thing, except to say that prayer is what we need. And I'm going to ask the uh, band to come up here. We don't, 